Good, okay, so there was this guy. He was a senior government official from Ethiopia. He was, because of that, evidently a man of color, coffee-skinned African. And um, he was also, uh, which was quite a feature you couldn't miss, he was a eunuch. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what a eunuch was, a eunuch was a guy who had no bits, okay? Now, that sometimes was voluntary, which is beyond me why anybody on God's earth would want to do that. Most of the time, people were designated, and uh, so what happened was performed not necessarily with their full agreement. You couldn't miss the guy because as a eunuch, he was bald, he would be bald, and most of the time eunuchs were void of body hair, so often they had no eyebrows, no hair, because they're not producing any testosterone. And uh, also invariably, these uh, eunuchs would be people who you had noticed because their voice would be several tones higher, for obvious reasons. These were the physiological and nationalistic and ethnic issues of this man. Now, where we pick up the story in the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 8, he's on the way back from a trip to Jerusalem. Uh, It says that he'd gone there to worship. So we we have some context that here's this man of color uh, who is a foreigner who's a eunuch and he's gone down to Jerusalem, to the main place, to the center of Jewish religiosity to worship. He's looking for God. He's an Ethiopian, but he's searching for God. He's looking for truth. Probably is not quite sure what it is he's looking for or who he's wanting to discover, but he's down there having a look, giving this a try. Now, what you need to understand is that it all sounds very nice in the Bible that he was on his way back from going down to Jerusalem to worship God, but let's take a step back. He would have been in that chariot with an extremely negative view of the God who he had been gone looking for and the center of belief that he had attended because as a man of color and as a eunuch, there were problems. Down in Jerusalem, he would have been invited into the temple, but only in an area clearly designated for non-Jewish people known as the court of the Gentiles. Now, they may have thought that they were doing people a favor by letting them come, but they were very clearly corralled into a little section that says, you're not one of us. You're an outsider. You don't have what we have. I get sad that many people who've never attended church church much, when they do go to a church, feel that feeling. We don't belong. We're not really welcome. So here they are promoting God, but actually this guy's not really welcome because there are several reasons why he would upset the equilibrium. Now, one of my dear friends in Australia, who's a great comedian, said, oh, he said, he, said he, he, went, he turned up in Jerusalem at the temple by accident because he thought he was going to the court of the genitals. <laughs> so here he is in the court of the Gentiles. He, he doesn't get to see the main worship. He is not allowed to participate in the worship. Basically, he is allowed to bring himself, and, and you would have thought also to bring an offering. However, there's another problem, because in the Old Testament law of the Jewish people, and you'll find it written in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus, you will find some very severe statements about eunuchs and guys who don't have any bits. Basically, the statement is this. You're not welcome. 
You cannot serve in the service of the priests. You cannot bring an offering even to the temple because you have an unacceptable defect. Now, this builds a wonderful story because actually the kingdom of God is about people coming with unacceptable defects. And so I'm going to show you how God changes his own rules so that people with unacceptable defects can come where God wants them to come. So these were the rules that he was not allowed to participate. So he's now in the chariot, he's heading home, but his experience has been incredibly negative. Now, I've been in ministry a long time and I get deeply saddened at how many people who were not kind of born into this and who are searching leave places like this with the negative a negative impression of what God was like, what was being offered to them, and how people and how God felt about them. So this guy is on his way back. While he's on his way back, something very strategic happens because a guy called Philip meets him in the desert. Now, it's a very supernatural encounter. You know, one of those things in life that you think, that was weird, wasn't it? You know, you just meet a person at a certain point in time that's really... Well, it was one of those experiences, and I won't go into all the detail because time doesn't permit me to do so, but this guy called Philip, who already was breaking the mold because he was taking this newfound, not a religion, because Jesus never came to start religion. God help us, that was never Jesus' intention. But this newfound passion and this newfound understanding of relationship with God. He's working with a group called the Samaritans who, guess what, the Jews wanted nothing to do with them because their whole business was qualification by keeping a set of rules, acting a certain way, eating certain foods, not eating certain foods. Basically, you have to earn God's favor was their premise. So he's already a bit out on a limb and he goes out in the desert and meets this guy in his chariot. And the guy invites him up and they have this conversation because, um, you know, as, as Philip's there, Philip says, well, what, what are you reading? And he said, I'm reading this really strange part of the Bible. Now, it was actually in, in Isaiah the prophet. So he'd have his scroll and he's reading this bit that says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as the lamb before the shearer is silent... So he did not open his mouth. You find this in Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, the eunuch reading those words is thinking, this describes me. This is talking about me. I was led like a sheep to the slaughter. I was like a lamb before her shearer that's silent. And I couldn't open my mouth. I was humiliated. I was deprived of justice. And who can speak of my descendants? Because I can't have any, basically. So I can never have a family. I can, I'm, I'm stuck. For his life was taken from the earth. I'm sure this is how that eunuch was feeling. So when he read these words, his next question supports that viewpoint because he says, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Or in other words, I see a connection here and maybe if I can find the guy who this is being talked about, I'll find somebody who understands my issues and if he understands my issues, he won't treat me like that church did down there in Jerusalem. Understand what I'm saying? So Philip, this, this, he, he, he says... Um, 
Philip began with this very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Or in other words, although this was written 700 years before Jesus turned up, it was actually talking about Jesus. Now, for those of you who might be skeptics and say, well, I don't believe the Bible because that would have been made up after the event, I would have to differ with you there because there was an archaeological find called the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is the earliest uh, um, live parchments of scripture. And in the fragments of Isaiah, every bit they found replicated exactly the translation that we look at today, okay? So, so you can't argue and say, somebody after the event seven years later made this up. No, this, this was real prophecy saying, there is a guy who knows exactly how you feel. He can relate exactly to where you are. He doesn't exclude you, and this is good news, okay? So Philip begins to share with him this good news about Jesus. Now, there's a fascinating little thing there because it says Philip began with this very passage. Or in other words, he didn't stop here. He made this his starting point. Now, what, what I need you to understand if you don't know is the Bible was not written in chapters and verses, okay? It, it was written like we would write. It was written in letters. It was written in, in documents. And uh, un basically, until... until 1,500 years ago, it depends, depends where you look at it and which Bible you're looking at. When you get there, you find that before that era, there were no chapter breaks and there were no verse annotations. So you read it as a document. So would it make sense to say then that Philip begins at this passage and carries on? Okay? What happened then was absolutely fascinating because whatever Philip told this guy... Um, it was interesting because whatever Philip told him, he says in verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water, why shouldn't I be baptized? Okay? And so Philip gave orders to stop the chariot, and just like we're going to do tonight, both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water, and Philip baptized him. So whatever he told this guy, suddenly he's gone from feeling excluded to feeling included, from unacceptance to acceptance, and he actually f feels that he's found someone who knows his personal struggle, right? His story. Not a generic, general story of man and humanity, but his story, him as a person, okay? Whether it's grief, or whether it's struggles of being a young man in life and making your way, his story. And so he said, this is fantastic, listen, I want, let me be baptized. So Philip must have said these early believers and followers were indicating their connection to this emerging organic movement by being baptized just to say to people, hey, look, here, I'm one of these people. And so Philip I went down to baptize him. Now, there is a problem here because in some versions of the Bible, King James is one of them, the new King James is another, a verse has been added in the translation that is not there in the original. But somebody decided to help people like us really understand what is expected of us, we must add this verse. And so if you look there, it says verse 36, and then it says verse 38. Because verse 37 never existed in the original manuscript. Here's what verse 37 says 
when you read it in the King James or the New King James. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That request, that expectation, that qualification for this man's baptism did not exist. And I want to show you the difference when religion gets hold of it. Religion says, if you... God says, because I. Religion says, if you believe, God says, because I believe in you. Religion says, if you'll sacrifice, but, but, but God says, because I sacrificed. So we're not, mar- we're not marrying. We're not baptizing Keith and James on the grounds of, if you, we're baptizing you on the grounds of, because he. Right? Because of what he has done. So this eunuch's experience was not an if you experience, it was a because, because he. So suddenly you find, because of what God has done for him, he wants this deal. This is a great deal. So Philip baptizes him, not on confession of his faith, but as a declaration of God's work, finished work, okay? So... So what was it that Philip said that revolutionized his thinking? Well, remember he began at that very scripture and began to tell him the good news about Jesus. Here's the fascinating thing, okay? What he was reading was in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Okay? It was in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. So we're going through... He's explaining to him the truth about Jesus. And we get to chapter 56 as we know it, which of course it wouldn't have been chapter 56 for them. He's just carried on reading. And suddenly he comes to this in verse 1. This is what the Lord says. So never mind what religion has said. Never mind what experience you had in Jerusalem. Never mind about the struggles of that. This is what the Lord says. And then I'll jump to verse 3. Let no foreigner, this man's a foreigner, He's also excluded because the Jews call him a Gentile, a non-Jew. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord, or who accepts the because of, say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. He's just been told he's excluded. And let not any, you can't get more specific than this, can you, in this story. Imagine if you're the eunuch and he's reading this. Let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. Now, that doesn't mean to eunuchs who go to church on a Sunday, okay? The Sabbath in Scripture was not about church attendance ever. The Sabbath was about on the seventh day of creation, God rested. Why? Because it was finished. Why did Jesus get crucified on the sixth day, the Friday, right? And why was it on the seventh day, the Sabbath, he didn't rise from the dead? He rose on the first day of the week because he was resting. Why? Because his last words were, it is finished. So for everybody who accepts it is finished on my behalf and my favor, not because if I do, but because he has done, he says, uh, he says to them I will give within my temple and its walls. He's not allowed in, according to what... A memorial and a name. It's one thing you can't have. Okay? Better than sons and daughters. Or in other words, I'm going to fix this so fantastic and so great in you that you will become complete even though men have made you incomplete. 
and I'll give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, who keep that Sabbath, that finished thing that God has said it's finished on your behalf, these I'll bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Now, you say, well, hang on a minute. You just said that the rules in Deuteronomy and Leviticus were these people can't. And where did those rules come from? They came from God telling the Jews, here's the rules. But then God breaks his own rules so that the one who was excluded by the rules can now be included in spite of the rules. So you say, well, why did he give the rules in the first place? Because how can he show you that he'll override his own rules for you unless first he makes the rules? So God makes the rules so he can say, these are the rules, it sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) Right? Rules suck. But when I come on the scene, I break my own rules. I change my own rules. Why does he change his rules? Because God is not the supreme divine rule keeper and rule maker. He's the great lover of the universe who says, I show you these rules to show you how it will suck if the rules are there, but to show you I love you more than the rules. I love you more than your inadequacies. I love you more than the lack in your life. I love you more than your ethnic problems. I love you more than the rejection. I love you more than the exclusion. And so in 56, he changes the rules to say, son, not only are you in, you're right in the middle. And this is all going to be about you. How many of you are familiar? Jesus one day said that you've made my father's house a den of thieves when my father's house should be called a house of prayer. That statement comes from what is the, this, next, this verse in here. It's actually got nothing to do with prayer. It's got everything to do with inclusion. Therefore, what God considers the house of prayer is not when people go, oh, help me, please, I'm so unworthy. It's when people have an open heart of inclusion to say eunuchs, foreigners, whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever your lifestyle, whatever your pains, your difficulties, your issues, God has a word for you just like he had for this eunuch on the desert road. And that word is I've included you, I've welcomed you, I've made your mind and I've changed the rules for you. So you're included today and that's why it's good news. Right? Didn't say that Philip began where he was reading and told him what the scriptures say. Because I've had lots of people tell me what the scriptures say, and it's put me down and beat me up, made me feel guilty and oppressed and excluded, just like he experienced in Jerusalem. So he didn't say, I'm going to tell you what the scripture says. He said, I'm going to tell you the good news about Jesus. So we're baptizing these guys because of the good news about Jesus. Not on the grounds of if you will do anything, okay? So that's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this so great a salvation that we believe that you've released to us by your grace and help nobody to slip on the water that I spilled tonight because we can do without a lawsuit. And as we go and get baptized for... Do the baptism for James and Keith. We bless them, Lord. I'm I'm so proud of these guys. I'm so proud of James and and his beacon of light and and, and the sound that he brings. I'm so proud of Keith 
and, and the way that he has shown us how to deal with adversity and difficulty and distress. I'm proud of these guys, Lord, you know I am. So I pray that as they are baptized, that they will be blessed because this is going to be a, a true house of prayer because it's a house of inclusion. It's inclusion. Not if you, but because he, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to release these guys. You guys are free to go across the road.